0: Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you because we realize we don't know you as we should, but Father, that we desire to know you more. And Lord, we we recognize that you desire for us to know you, that you're not being hid, that you desire more than anything else to change our hearts and help us to know you. And Lord, but in spite of that, we still need to know how to implement this into our lives, how to make it practical. And so Lord, I just pray that your spirit would guide us Lord, that you would instruct us of how we can all come closer to you, that our life with you would grow, and that we would see you in a clearer way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. The second session is the lifestyle of worship. How many of you have ever studied successful people? Anyone? Has anyone studied, like, what makes people successful? Yeah, there are some here. What about athletes? Have you ever studied the life of an athlete? or the life of the biggest CEO, Steve Jobs, or different people like that. You know, I started getting interested in what it takes to make people successful. Have you ever thought of that? I mean, do you want to be successful people in life? I mean, I believe God wants his people to be successful so that we can make his name known wherever we are. And so as I was thinking, what does it, make, what does it take to make people successful? So I started Googling and doing a little research, and as I pulled it, there was obviously a ton of information, I'm not even claiming to have read a portion of it um, in consideration with what it was, but as I started looking through they tried to summarize what made people successful and this one guy summarized it to 50 things and I was like well that's not much of a summary but what did help me in seeing what, what it caused for someone to be successful is that it was a lifestyle. It was a lifestyle commitment that caused people to be successful in whatever field they were going into. Now, if you look at someone who's a successful student, they're not just a successful student on test day, are they? But they're a successful student from the time they wake up to the time they go to sleep. They're managing their time well. I mean, they're living a balanced life. Yes, they have some social interaction. But their primary focus is on how to be applied to their studies, how to uh, integrate the information so that they can learn it better. Right? So you cannot be a successful student a couple hours a day. Would you agree? How many of you think you could be a 4.0 student only studying 30 minutes a day? If you could, let me know how. I'd love to change my study habits. Greek is getting a little difficult. No, I'm just giving you a hard time. But, and then you look at athletes, right? And I started looking up uh, Olympic athletes, the, the top of the top. And the discipline that they put themselves through is very extreme. I mean, there are people who will not eat anything unhealthful. Because they know that that could mess up their performance in two years. How many of us think that way? Now, I don't think I want to do this because that could mess me up. You know, And when I get a job and when I have a family, that could, that could hurt me then. We don't really think that way too often, right? But that's a sign of maturity. You're thinking ahead. You're trying to think what's going to affect what. And the discipline that they put themselves through is something that actually Paul uses to liken to the Christian life, right? We see this. Let's look at 1 Corinthians together. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul actually brings this analogy up, and you might think, well, why does running a race have anything to do with the Christian life? And we kind of just take it, you know, you've heard people preach the sermon sometimes, well, we're running the race of Christianity. Well, what does that mean? You know what I mean? Are we literally running? Are you guys going to run from here to Talge Hall to go back to your room? I mean, what are we running for? And so, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now let's pick up First Corinthians chapter ten. Is anyone else seeing it? I'm missing the verse. Is it second Corinthians ten? So I'm not finding it. One moment, please. First Corinthians. Does someone... 9, 24, 9, sorry. I got excited and wrote down the next chapter. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's look at verse 24. It says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? So what is this saying? There's many competitors, there's one winner. Verse 25, Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in how many things? So they're only doing one thing, right? They're only competing in the game. But in order to do that one thing well, they discipline everything. Does that make sense? That's what he's bringing out. Says, they then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable, right? They're they're not even doing it for anything that great. You know, they're going to get a little crown, a little gold medal, and they're disciplining their whole lives for this one thing. Now, Paul brings out the point. Verse 26 and 27. Therefore, I run in such a way As not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So Paul is saying, you know, you look at these athletes who are competing, they're disciplining themselves, they're doing all this preparation for one event, and they don't even know for sure they're going to win that event. And if they do, all they do is get this little medal. And so he's showing that it's really nothing, but how about ourselves in our Christian lives? We have eternity to gain. Now, I'm not saying that as a based we gain it by our works. But we have the opportunity of being in heaven with Christ forever. But yet sometimes we walk through the Christian life very haphazardly with no discipline, no self-control. And we expect for God to still speak to us and bless us and help us get it together. Does that make sense? These people are so focused on their one goal that everything in their life comes into play with it. And I believe that that's the secret to the Christian life not in some sort of you know, secret, like here's the one key to having a successful Christian life, but that a Christian life is something that influences everything you do. You cannot just have a devotional life in the sense of spending an hour a day in the morning or whatever that may be, and then live your life however else you want and expect to understand the Bible and understand the depths of who God is. Would you agree with that? Now, the problem is, is a lot of times as Christians... We, want, we just want the simple key to knowing God, right? How many of you have gone to studying the Bible seminars just looking for, okay, what's the secret they're going to give? Because when they give that secret, it's just going to, ah, open the realms, and I got it, you know? That's not what a devotional life is. A devotional life is learning to know God more, and that's something that you do all day long. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not saying that you do not have that time in the morning. We need that. We need to set aside specific time, and we'll talk about this but I want us to distance our mind from the thought that Christianity is a one-time event or a, you know, one day a week or one hour a day thing that we do in order to connect with God. Does that make sense? I want to illustrate it this way. When I was first coming to God, I, I would study the Bible. I, I set a time. I said, I'm going to study the Bible an hour a day. And I remember I dreaded that hour more than anything else in my life. I'm just going to be honest. And I think some of you could probably relate. I mean, I would start studying the Bible, and I'm thinking, this is miserable, it's really boring, and why am I wasting my time, you know? Because then right after I'd get done studying the Bible, I'd go watch Fast and the Furious, I'd play all my racing games. My brother and I were into street racing, like I was telling you, so we'd go race, run away from cops, and then I'd come away, and I'd be like, let's study the Bible. You know, like, come on, you know, how is your mind that's so filled with adrenaline and all these different things going to be able to concentrate on something so solemn. It is exciting. It is important. I'm not saying it's dull and it's boring. But when you're filling your mind with so many other things, how can you focus? There's a powerful quote here. It's first volume of the Testimonies, page 125, paragraph 2. Those who give up the mind to be diverted with foolish stories and idle tales have the imagination fed, but the brilliancy of God's word is eclipsed to them. So what is it? Those whose mind are diverted by all these foolish stories, all these worldly things, they're, having, they're being entertained, right? But the word of God is eclipsed to them. It doesn't make any sense. Now, it says the mind is led directly from God, and the interest in his precious word is destroyed. You know, when I read that, I'm thinking, how? no, 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 that can't be, but I, you know, I really like my movies, and I really like you know, all these other things that I'm doing. I just want to do that and have this too, you know what I mean? We kind of want a little bit of both. And the thought came to my mind, we have to make a decision. And this is the Christian life, right? We have to either be on God's side or serving the world, whatever we want to do. But there has to be a specific choice, either because our devotional life is saying, I want to devote my life to God, right? That's what the word devotion means. And so if we want to devote our life to God, that means everything, right, holistically not just this little portion or segment of time. And so, in order to have a consistent devotional life, what we have to do is make that a decision that that is going to be top priority. For example, I came here to Southern, and as I was studying, I remember my first semester here, I was starting to feel overwhelmed, first time in college, taking 16 credit hours, you know, nothing much, but it was just, it was a decent amount. And... I sat in my room the first day I got here and I knelt down and I said, Lord, by this time I decided I want to study the Bible. I want to know God. And I said, God, I'm willing to fail every single class I have before I lose my time with you. And I was scared, honestly. I'm like, I don't know if I'm actually going to have to do that because I don't like failing. You know, I'm not, I'm not a failure in, in that sense. I don't just slack off in school. But I said, God, that's honestly the most important thing. I'm not, I'm not going to allow social life to get in the way. And, you know, the Lord blessed. Every morning, every day, got up at the same time. The Lord blessed in devotional life. Study. I was just blown away with what I was studying in the Bible. And yet, that was the highest GPA I've ever had in my life. So, dedicating your life to God does not mean you're a failure in everything else, but it means that your priorities are sure. I mean, we think of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. What does it say? Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Does that, that doesn't mean that's the only thing we're doing, right? We're not just sitting in a chair meditating all day long, but what we're doing is our mentality is that's what we're focused on, right? And so if we have this perception in the Christian life that, okay, my devotional life is this important to me, that I'm willing to set this aside, then you're set up to a place where you can have a consistent devotional life. And I think Jesus gives this illustration, too, right He says, "No one builds a tower without first what? Counting the cost. Sit down. And this is something I want to challenge you to do. Sit down and think is this something I'm really willing to sacrifice for? Is the devotional life and knowing God really important enough to me that I'm willing to let other things be put to the side? If not, okay. But if so, then make sure that's where you're giving your undivided attention. Does that make sense? So that's principle number one. Make sure that you're willing, you've counted the cost, and you're willing to to accept it, whatever that means. And now, this is, this is not what I'm encouraging. Do not say, well, I need to study 12 hours a day, um, and studying the Bible 12 hours a day, and I'll just study for all my other six classes and the other hour of the day, and God will bless. That is not what I'm saying, okay? God, God wants us to be successful, but what I am saying is that set aside a specific time, and, and we're going to be getting into this more, but in order to have this, this ba- or balance or correct view of how devotions is, we really need to be converted. Would you agree? And now some of you say, Oh, I've been converted. Amen. Be converted again today. You know, it's a daily thing. And, you know, Paul says, I die daily. I want to look at 1 Corinthians together. It is 1 Corinthians this time. I'm positive of that one. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And Paul here is explicitly saying what we just talked about you cannot have two lives, you have one or the other. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, let's start at verse 12. It says, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. I hear some pages turning. Wait a moment. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from who? From God. So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit. Combining spiritual things with spiritual words. Or what does the King James say there? Or any other version? Anyone else? Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Or the ESV says spiritual things are discerned by spiritual people. Now this is interesting. Paul is saying, if you want to understand spiritual things, what do you have to be? Spiritual. Now how many of you feel discouraged by that? I remember when I read that, I was like, well, that stinks, you know. I'm not spiritual. How am I supposed to understand spiritual things? This is the whole issue, God. I want to be spiritual, and you're telling me I have to be spiritual to understand the spiritual things? Now, what this is saying, it's talking about the mindset of the world, right? Is what you look at 1 Corinthians. It's talking about those who are following the pattern of the world, those who are following the pattern of God, those who are so caught up in you know, associating themselves with Paul and worldly things, and those who are just caught up in doing God's work. Does that make sense? So he's just making this differentiation of two classes of people, those who want to do what God's will is, and those who are caught up in the things of this world. And so what God is saying is that we have to make that decision, what we've just talked about. But for those of us who may feel like, well, I don't know if I'm converted. How many of you have wondered that? To be honest, I mean, I've wondered that before. Am I really converted? What does it mean to be converted? We should never be discouraged if we think, wow, I'm not converted, in the sense of feeling like you're hopeless. Because what is, the, what is conversion? Transformation? I mean, we, we, we use these terms to encapsulate such a large thing that sometimes we don't even know what it means. But conversion, I would say, to the core is where you recognize that Christ, what he did, and who he is, is something that you want, right? Right? and that you want him to be able to cover your sins. And, you know, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Once we've realized that, we, like Isaiah, how many of you have read Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah sees God, he sees him high and lifted up, he sees his character, and in view of who God is, he says, woe is me, I'm undone. I am messed up, I have nothing right. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips, dwelling in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the Lord. And so when you're converted, it doesn't mean that you feel good about yourself. It means that you see God and you see your character in contrast to that, and it might be quite uncomfortable. But when we recognize that God loves us, that he came to die for us, like what we just talked in our last seminar about, right? That he came to be treated as we deserve, that he took that upon himself, then then I believe we've had the conversion experience, right? It's a daily sanctification. The Lord is changing things out of our character. But it's giving your heart to God that's important, would you agree? Because if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. You know, old things have passed away, behold, all things become new. So it's not that you've worked to change it yourself, but you've come to Christ just as you are because you can't come any way. What are you going to come as you aren't? And so you come to Christ, you give your life to him, and it's only at that time where we can start to have this experience where we can know God more. Would you agree? Right, is the world is an atheist professor from Harvard gonna come and read the Bible and get the same depths of scripture as someone, one of you who are converted? No. It's because they're approaching it with a different mindset, right? We talked about in last seminar. What are you expecting from the Bible? The things of the scriptures are foolishness to those who don't want to know God. And so that's the first key. In order to know God, we have to make sure that we're converted. And we're converted on a daily basis. We're surrendering our lives to God and be honest with God. God, I don't, I don't even know why you're putting up with me. Like, I'm really messed up, but I'm just asking that you change my heart again. I don't know how to stop doing what I'm doing. Um, I'm just praying that you would help me to see the power of your word and allow it to change my life. Would you agree? I mean, we're to be honest with God. Be open and explicit in your relationship with him, because that's the only way that any changes are going to happen. So does that make sense? First one is just we need to be converted. We need to have this mind change that we started talking about last time. This is what it really means. Conversion is a change of the thoughts, right? New creature. If you're a new creature, that means you're thinking a different way. Now, the problem is that some of us, when we see that, man, I'm nothing, I'm I'm sinful, that we're discouraged, I want to remind you what God thinks of those who recognize their spiritual need. Have any of you read Matthew chapter 5 before? Sermon on the Mount, have you ever heard of it? Uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 3 gives God's perception of what he thinks of those people who recognize their spiritual need. Because we may come to the point where we realize, okay, I need to be converted. I come to that point where I'm willing, to do it to, I'm willing to give my life to God. But then do I just have to be on probation until I can start understanding God's word? And does he immediately accept me? Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So blessed are those who don't have it all together. Is that what he's saying? I mean, what is he saying by this poor in spirit? Does he just mean, it sounds like depressed, right? Like blessed are those who are mourning. I mean, that's the next one. Blessed are those who just recognize their spiritual poverty. How many of you have ever just felt like, man, I'm a wicked person. Amen, praise the Lord. And you're just jumping around and you're so excited. That's not usually how we respond, right? We recognize our failure and yet we confess it to God, but we just feel like, Lord, how how can I ever grow? How can I ever come out of this situation? But God says, hey, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. It's not those who think they have it right, but it's those who know who has it right, they, they recognize that they need it. They're not okay with that. They're not okay that they're messed up. They're asking God to change that. But they, they're going to God, trusting in his word, accepting that he's going to lead them. Amen? Isn't that true? And so this is what I want to think. When we're coming to God in a devotional life, we're, we're going to be faced with this continually. Lord, I'm not good enough. You've got it right. You're not good enough. But it's through Christ, the merits that he's given to us, what he's done on the cross for us, that allows us to be accepted. And we're going to actually study about this in the next session. We're going to go through a portion of Scripture studying the Bible, looking at principles of how to study, but that's specifically, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, looking at how we're accepted in Christ. But we have to recognize that God is faithful, that when we come to him, he accepts us. Amen? So we're realizing the process. It's going to take a lifestyle. It takes a change of life for many of us on a daily basis. There may be some things we have to cut out Um, That we know, how many of you, you know, at least in the past or maybe currently, that there have been things in your life that draw you away from God, right? And no one had to tell you. Did someone come up and tell you, I'm sorry, that's wrong, you need to stop? No, you just know, right? And that's the Holy Spirit working on your heart. And Ellen White talks about how those things will be falling out of your life. You know, as we come closer and closer to Christ, as we see him more clearly, that those things are just going to fall out of our lives. And so I'm not here to point out saying, well, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do that. Please, read the Bible, expect what God is asking you to do, and just keep following as the Spirit leads you. Amen? Because that's not what we're here to talk about, is the do's and the don'ts. But we recognize that we need a converted heart. We recognize that we need to be humble, like this poor in spirit, recognizing our need, right? Now, you look at James chapter 4. We're going to look at this just to hone in on this point a little more. That not only are they those blessed who are poor in spirit, who recognize their need, but actually, those who are spiritually proud aren't going to understand anything. Do you, have you ever seen those? I mean, do you guys know who are spiritually proud? How many of you have been spiritually proud? I know I have. Like, I've gone to seminars and think, I don't need to listen to a word this guy's saying. Or, you know, I, I know that already, you know? And I'm not saying we should walk through life like that, but that's our innate ability, right? We're innately proud. That's normally who we are. That's why we want to look good. That's why we want to do good on our tests, because we're... We want to be good people, right? And we want to be proud about it. So James chapter four is really fascinating because he just gets straight to the core of the issue. James chapter four and verse six. It says, but he gives greater grace. This is talking about the spirit or God. Therefore, it is said, God is is what? Opposes the proud, but gives grace to the who? Humble. So when we approach scripture, regardless of how long we've studied it, regardless of what we think we know, we have to come to God realizing that we don't have it all together in our personal life. We don't have it all together of how we're going to study the Bible, but what we do know is that we trust God. We trust that he wants us to know him more, amen, and that he will send us his spirit to lead us into all truth. So... I I really don't want to pass this by too quickly because oftentimes we spend time on technique of how to study the Bible. But really, I've wasted so much time in focusing on technique and not being concerned about where I was at spiritually and being concerned about if I was humble, if I was really looking to God for the answers or if I thought I already had them all. And so let's remember that. We have to be humble. We have to recognize our condition. Now, one other principle I want to give you as well is that we have to have the Holy Spirit to guide us. How many of you think you could just go into this like any other chemistry book or anything else and just figure out the answers? It can't happen, to be honest, because there are often times where you read the Bible and it's like things just start connecting, right? And it's not even like you were trying to make them connect. It just starts all falling in place. And you realize, the Lord's leading me in a Bible study. Like, this is so cool, you know? And so you start studying through. And what we need to recognize is that we have to have the Holy Spirit. And what that means is spending time in prayer before you're studying the Bible. And not just like a prayer, Lord, guide us, help us to understand the scriptures. Amen. All right. Well, you know, it's not a duty-based thing. God doesn't just want to hear the words come out of your mouth, right? He's concerned about the heart. He wants to know if you really think you need help. And he wants us to be dependent upon him. And he gives us a great promise. You know, John chapter 16 talks about the Holy Spirit in depth, and it's a beautiful passage that I want you to remember whenever you're feeling discouraged in your devotional life. Matthew chapter 16, and we'll look at 13. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. It says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into what? All truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears. Now, I want you to remember this. Whenever you're feeling discouraged, feeling like you're getting nothing out of your devotional life, not learning anything, it just feels like, why in the world am I wasting my time? Claim these promises that God will send his spirit to help us to understand how much truth? All truth. He's going to lead us. He's going to help us understand. He's going to help us grow. So this is not a work. The devotional life, studying the Bible, is not something that you do on your own. It's something that the Lord leads us through, and he guides us. Now, I want us to look at verse thirteen or verse 12, because this is very important to bear in mind, too, as we're looking at the Holy Spirit, because we look at things like he'll lead us into all truth, right? So how many of you have gotten all excited, and so you start reading the Bible, and you're like, I'm just going to understand every word that's said, because he's going to lead me into all truth. And so you start reading, and chapter 1, I didn't get anything. Man, what, what happened? I thought the Holy Spirit was going to come to lead me into all truth. How many of you have felt like that? Now, verse 12 is is a beautiful context for this. Verse 12. It says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And then after that, he gives the promise of the Holy Spirit, right? This is Jesus talking to his disciples. And Jesus says to his disciples who have been with him three and a half years, hey, you know what? I still have more stuff to tell you. So the disciples didn't learn it all in three and a half years? They didn't know everything? Does that mean we're supposed to just know everything on the spot? What I want us to see is that the Christian life is a continual progressive growth. Do we realize that? You know, a lot of times we just want to take those leaps to Christ instead of the steps to Christ. And it's often discouraging when we feel that it's a process. But if we recognize that God, he will lead us into all truth. But that doesn't mean we're going to be led into all truth in one morning. Does that make sense? So when we keep these things in mind, it helps us to not expect more from our devotions than what God really intends, right? But God is only, he's going to continually lead us. He's going to continually show us different glimpses of his character. But it doesn't mean that we're just going to get it and have it all together. Now let's look into some practical, practical ways of planning a devotional life. Does this make sense? So we've realized that it's a holistic thing, correct? That it's something that encompasses everything that we do, and so that means we might have to change our schedule, right? How many of you have a schedule? Like, you know what you're going to do at a certain time. You know, a very good sign of successful people is that they have schedules. And don't feel bad. Don't feel like I'm just pointing fingers now, because I've struggled with schedules too. Not all of us like to have all of our time planned, right? But having a schedule for your devotional life is critical. Because I've, I've, been, I've been in many places where I'm like, okay, I'm going to study the Bible. I'm going I'm to get through this. I go to a seminar on how to study the Bible. So the next morning, I'm all energized. You know, I can't wait. I get there, and I'm like, okay, I've set a cl- six o'clock, I'm going to study. So I get up at six. Well, what am I going to do? Have any of you felt that way? What, what do I do now? Like, I'm here, but uh, what now, you know? <laughs> Lord, uh, what do you want me to do? And so what we're going to look at is practical things that you can do in your devotional time but also how to schedule that in. I want to I wanna let you know, one of the most important things that I can think of for the devotional life is guarding the time that you set. Right? If you guys are really interested in anything, do you guard that time? How many of you have ever, you don't have to raise your hand, have ever had a boyfriend, girlfriend, and you set a date, okay, say six o'clock, but you end up just thinking, oh, I, I have a test tomorrow. I should probably study for that test instead of going on my date. And, uh, it's all right. You know, you do that time after time after time. Is that okay? You know, are they okay with that? Especially a serious relationship? No, it doesn't work, right? You have to have a consistent time that you're guarding or, or else it's just going to fall apart. How many of you would even do that to a date? <laughs> don't raise your hand. <laughs> no. Um, but really, we do it to God, right? We think, oh, well, God, you don't know. God knows this is finals week. Like, the Lord knows. Lord knows. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to study, right? And he sent me to school. He sent me to school. This is my mission field. And my mission field is to study chemistry right now. So my devotional time is going to be chemistry. And we just rationalize it away. And before you know it, one day turns into all of finals week. After finals week, whoo, break. I'm glad the semester's over. Well, God knows I'm on break. You know, I need to sleep in. like. And before you know it, it's consistently a failure. So we have to guard our time. This is what I did. I, I made sure that I thought of the amount of time that I wanted to spend. And I'm not here to tell you that there's a specific quota for time that you have to spend with God, right? Um, But I do want to just throw this out to you. How long is a typical class period? Fifty minutes, right? And double periods are hour and a half, really long, right? Um, But if you think of it, then a worldly subject takes approximately 50 minutes a day to explain, and those are concepts that we can see, tangibly touch, you know, have been researched. What about the Bible? How long is it gonna take? And now, I'm not, I'm not here to set a time for you, but I'm just saying, think about it. Be honest with yourself. Don't think, well, you know, five minutes a day? That should do it. Great, I'll probably understand the whole Bible in a week. You know, like, no, I mean, just be realistic. And think of it this way. What do you want out of your devotional life? Do you really want to grow spiritually? Because what I've found is I've talked to, I don't know how many people who have said, you know, I'm just so inconsistent in my devotional life. I'm like, really? Well, you know, how much time do you spend? Well, you know, I wake up and I pray before I go to school and like, you know, but I don't get it. It's like God doesn't hear. Well, how much time do you spend? Well, you know, I'm maybe, you know, like five, 10 minutes a day at least. And then before I go to bed, sometimes I'll read. Wait, how often? Well, sometimes. You know, and it's this inconsistent pattern that makes for an inconsistent relationship. I mean, it's just relevant. I mean, and we just divorce this idea from our devotional life and think we can do whatever and still be consistent. So set that time, make it out, you know, pray, ask God, hey, God, what should I, how much time should I spend? I mean, God may not give you an answer. I'm not saying he will. But maybe just by talking to him about it, you can come to some realization of, okay, I'm going to spend this amount of time, X, Y, or Z. And then what you need to do is plan that in your time. So let's just use the illustration that I'm going to spend an hour in devotions, okay? So my first class is at 8 o'clock. What time should I get up? 5.30, 6? And it depends on your schedule, right? And this is why I'm not here to prescribe something specifically to you. Like, for example, I mean, I've spent time... There are times in my day where I'm rushed, and I can get ready for school in 10 minutes. You know, shower and everything. And don't worry, I'm not gross. I, I like hygiene. And so... You know, you can get ready quicker sometimes, but you don't want to be forcing yourself to rush all morning long, right? Because the worst thing is when you have this calm devotional time and then you're rushing all day and you just feel like, man, I was late to everything and it's all because of my devotions, you know? (laughs) So just guard the time. So say it takes you 30 minutes to get around, you know, but it's going to take you 30 minutes to eat breakfast too, get up at 6 o'clock. You know, it's not hard math. Just be realistic with yourself, set a plan out, and it's going to help you be set up for success. Now, the second thing I want to bring out is having a plan of what to study. How many of you have ever felt that way? Like, there are thousands of pages in this book, over a thousand pages. What do I study? Anyone else felt overwhelmed? Because I want to know everything. um, But it's going to be really difficult to know everything by spending an hour a morning. You know what I mean? And so set aside what you're looking for in your devotional life. For example, when I first started studying the Bible, I decided that, I just wanted an overview of what the Bible said. Like I wanted to get the big picture. I wanted to know more about it. So what I did is I just read the Test—I mean the New Testament through several times. And just by getting that, I was starting to get a foundation of what Scripture was like. And I was starting to see that, okay, this is how this connects with this. And I'm just seeing patterns. I'm not getting much out of it. You know what I'm saying? You're just getting more of an overview, kind of a framework to work in. So that may be something you choose to do. But something else that works really well How many of you have heard of this series? It's called like Conflict of the Ages series or something. I've heard it's good. And um, no, it's it's wonderful. Like, guys, we really need to take advantage of the spirit of prophecy. And I don't know your position on what you think about it, because it's becoming more common to not really enjoy it. But really, the spirit of prophecy is rich with insight. So this is something else you could do. You could set up a plan where you're going to read through the Conflict of the Ages series in a year, or maybe two years. And you don't even have to invent your own. There's websites you can find where you can get a plan of how to read it. It is written, I think, has done some. Um, Not positive of that. Don't quote me, actually. Um, But there are different plans that you can find for that, Okay. So either set up Spirit of Prophecy, getting an overview of the Bible. But now there's some people who want to get deeper, right? Some people who want to really grasp more of what a certain book is saying. So this is what I decided to do. How many of you have heard of Peter Gregory? Anyone? He was a really big blessing to me when I first started studying the Bible because he went to the same church I did in New Mexico. And I remember just racking his brain like, how do you study the Bible, Peter? Because he would preach a sermon and I'd be like crying at the end. And I'm like, what happened, man? Like, how do you get this? And so this is something that he has shared and it's been a huge blessing to me. It's not something exclusive exclusive to him, but I was just praising the Lord for the work that God's used him to do. Is what you do is pick a book that you want to study. Um, whatever it may be, I would recommend a shorter book at first. Maybe not as short as Jude, but maybe not as long as, you know, Psalms, okay? So, you're, you're just thinking, what, what do I want to study? What is important to me? Well, what book do I know the least about? Or maybe you want to start with something, what do I know the most about? So that way I could get a firmer foundation. Does that make sense? Maybe your first book, you want to be really solid on what you know. And so, what I did is I chose the book of Ephesians. and. It's six chapters, I'm like, this shouldn't be too bad, and your first time, as you read it through, all you're going to do is get an overview of the book. You read it through, verse one to the last chapter, and that's just in one sitting, you want to do it to get a, an overview of what it's saying, and you want to do that several times. Like I, I told you I did that 250 times, that might be a little overkill. Um, so, you know, I, I was, there was other issues going on other than just not understanding the Bible, so... You know, you don't necessarily have to read it 250 times. But one thing I do recommend, too, is for those who really want to know it and spend some good quality time in devotions, memorize the book as you go through it. And maybe you don't memorize every book. Like, you may not memorize Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints with at Ephesus. You know, like, verse 1. Does that really matter, the introduction? I mean, I believe it has relevance. But you may not want to spend time memorizing that, right? So you can pick key verses to memorize as you study through Um, then after you've done an overview of the book, what you're going to do is start doing a chapter overview. So you're going to look at chapter one and you're going to read it through several times and think, okay, what differentiates this one chapter from chapter two? Like what is the core thing that Paul is talking about or whoever is talking about? And as you look through it, you're just picking up different insights. Okay. Okay. He keeps reiterating this point or this point. So that means that the theme must be this. And you just write something down and always be taking notes of what you're, you're writing, right? You're learning. Because I believe God brings things to mind and we want to remember those things. And some people can be en- encouraged by you just sharing them with them at some point. We'll get into that more later. But after you've gone through the chapter and you have a, a good idea of what the chapter looks like, then what you wanna do is start going verse by verse. And what I would do, and I'm not saying I recommend this 100%, but I would spend One whole morning, which is about an hour of just study on one verse. And to be honest, at some points it was a little bit overkill. But at other points, it would take several mornings just to study one verse. Because how many of you have read a verse and then like, wow, that's powerful, but can't explain why it's powerful? You know, like we're, that's that's amazing. Scripture's so cool. So what did you learn in your devotions? Oh, man, it was powerful. It was a cool experience. Like God was, God was real, man. And you're like, yeah, for sure. So what did you learn? Well, I was reading First Corinthians, but well, what'd you learn? Well, nothing, you know? So, you know, just, just kind of think, what does this really mean? And this is what I always do. I always think, how would I explain this to someone who has absolutely no scriptural backing, who has no preconceived ideas, who has, they're not an Adventist, they may not even be a Christian, they don't even share the worldview I have, how would I explain this to them? And then that makes you think, okay, well, what is this meaning? Like, if I had to explain this in front of 60 people, how would I explain it? You know what I mean? And so that's what you're thinking as you're going through verse by verse. Now, another way of studying the Bible is a topical study. And how many of you know what a topical study is without me explaining? A topical study is just saying, okay, I want to study what the Bible says about divorce. Or I want to study what the Bible says about love. I wanna study, you know, and you study the Bible through just looking at those key words through Strong's Concordance or something like that. And as you do that, you're getting an overview of what the Bible says about love. Now, I encourage topical studies, but something I wanna just make sure that you're aware of is that it's easier to pull verses out of context then. Um, And this is how we get a lot of right-winged theology is that you're just finding these people who just are strong concordancing everything, pulling it out and then grouping these verses together and being like, this is present truth, you know? Really, wow, that's why none of our church has seen it before, right? And not, not saying that people can't come to new truth, but I'm just saying really be careful. Be careful that you're, you're going through it and you're making sure you're studying it in context. So if you wanna study topically, I would encourage studying the chapters that surround the verses that you're studying topically. And maybe even studying the books that surround. You know, you're just keeping working out the larger frame that you have to work in, the more you are safeguarded against false understanding. Because how many of us want to be like the Jews in Christ's day and have this false understanding that leads us to a God that doesn't even exist? Does that make sense? So, another way is to study out questions that you have, like doctrines. Like, why does the church believe that you don't go to heaven when you die? Why do we believe the Sabbath? You know, why, do, why don't we keep the feast days? And now that's a really hot topic. I'm not trying to, like, get into it or anything. I, I, I'm not pro. But anyways, so, you know, like, but we have questions, right? So you can start looking through those things. Do things that have relevance to you, because that'll keep you interested in studying. Don't just study something because, well, that's what my roommate was studying. Now, a great thing to do as well, for those, how many of you have ever studied one verse a day or something like that, but then felt overwhelmed by, man, it's going to take me years to get through the whole Bible, like 40, 50, a hundred years to get through the whole thing because I'm just studying one verse a day. And then you get so discouraged that you don't even, you want to study more. You know, there's kind of this controversy. So what I've started doing, because I was feeling just in your shoes, is that I would study a portion of the New Testament every day, like verse by verse but then I'm reading through the Old Testament like a few chapters a day, trying to get more of an overview. So you're getting a balance of both. And so don't feel like you can't just come up with your own ideas. I'm just trying to suggest something that might help spark something in your devotional life. Now, another great way is studying the parables of Christ. Um, study through the parables. You know, Think of why, why did Christ say what he said? You know, A lot of those things don't make sense on the surface. And then what you can do is read Christ's object lessons with it. Or you can read the Gospels and then read Desire of Ages with it. And the reason I'm encouraging studying of spirit of prophecy is because God doesn't give us a prophet just to waste his time or to waste thousands of pages that she's written. Like, he knows what he's doing. And 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20, you know, listen to the prophets and you will prosper. God knows what he's talking about. So take advantage of the gifts that God's given. And something interesting on this point, actually, there was a canvasser, um, a literature ministries person, and he went into a Sunday church. And as he goes in, he, he asks for the pastor and the pastor says, okay, come on in. You can give me a presentation of your books. And so he gives this presentation and the pastor's like, hey, uh, who's your books written by? This is a Sunday keeping church, right? And the, the literature ministries guy was like, well, uh, it's written by Ellen White. He's like, wait, is this Adventist material? He's like, yeah. He's like, oh man, Adventists had the best study material ever. Like, we love your stuff. And he told me story after story after story of going into Sunday churches where the pastors would ask to purchase materials because Adventists have good study material. So take advantage of it. It's part of our church. I mean, there's people who love it. Why don't we start loving it? Now, here's what I want you to think is just look at Spirit of Prophecy and think of how that explains the Bible. Like, we're not just trying to understand Spirit of Prophecy, right? Spirit of Prophecy is explaining the Bible and the Bible is pointing us to who? Who? Christ. So that's our constant aim. You know, we're not just trying to gain more knowledge of this is what Ellen White says. That's not profitable, you know, but what's profitable is learning how that applies to the Scripture and how that applies to Christ, right? Any disconnected knowledge from Christ isn't really knowledge because Christ is the center of everything. Would you agree? Amen. So... Um, those are some different ideas of how to study the Bible. Does that help at least give you a jump start? You can try maybe one every day and just see which one is best for you. Now, what I want to share as well, as I hit on this before, is study the Bible in preparation to share. You know, I would have never thought when I first was studying my Bible, coming to God after street racing and all these different things, that I was ever going to share the Bible with anyone. Never crossed my mind. The farthest thing. I mean, my mom worked for the conference and she, there would be pastors who'd be like, you're going to be a pastor someday. And I was like, yeah, right. And the same pastor was like, well, that's what I said. I'm like, well, too bad for you. It looks like you got the short end, you know? Like, I am never going to be a pastor. I mean, I was so defiant. I'm never going to study the Bible to share it with someone else. God has a sense of humor. and. <laughs> But this is the blessing. When you study it to share with someone else, not only does it broaden your understanding because you have to try to understand where they're coming from to explain it, but Ellen White also brings out a very interesting point. This is from Christ Object Lessons, page 354, paragraph 1. He who begins with a little knowledge... How many of you feel like, I don't know anything. Why would I even share it? I do. I know what you're feeling like. He who begins with a little knowledge in a humble way and tells what he knows while seeking diligently for further truth, will find the whole heavenly treasury awaiting his demand. So those who are seeking God and then sharing it with others, that God will give them more light. Now, she continues on in this quote and says, the more he seeks to impart light, the more light he will receive. The more one tries to explain the word of God to others with a love for souls, the plainer it becomes to himself. Does that make sense? Have you ever had that experience? I remember I had a Bible study with an ex-Adventist lady for quite a while. And she would just drill me on why we didn't have to keep the Sabbath, why we didn't have to do these things. And I'm thinking, man, if I, when I was studying to answer her objections, it became so much clearer. And so when you are trying to make it plain to someone else, it becomes simpler to you. It becomes plain to you. And then it says, the more we use our knowledge and exercise our powers, the more knowledge and power we shall have. You know, it makes complete sense because God God doesn't give blessings to be stagnant, correct? I mean, you look, you you may have heard these analogies. You look at a river and a river is always flowing out, right? It's, It's an outlet, maybe to an ocean or something, constantly giving. And God has never created someone to just be alone, keep it to themselves, you know, oh, I'm just supposed to be fat on spiritual knowledge and I'm not going to tell you a word of it. You know, that's not why God gives us the Bible. But you look at the the purpose of the Jewish nation, right? God had given the Jewish nation all these blessings. And you look at Deuteronomy, he gives the whole chapters of blessings and curses and he gave those blessings specifically so that these people could be a blessing to their neighbors. Are you guys familiar with that? I mean, God did not just say, I want to bless the Jews because... I just I favor them more than others. No, he's not a respecter of persons. He's giving them blessings so they can bless everyone they come in contact with. So why is God going to give you more information from the Bible if you're not sharing what you have? I mean, what's the point of it? It's becoming useless. I mean, you're not doing anything with it. Obviously, if we understood what Christ has done, it propels us to do something else. So if we say, well, no, it's just helping me to understand it more, well, you must be missing it because this is the whole point we're studying to give to other people. And remember this, we're sharing what we know. God doesn't call us to share what we don't know. And so you may feel like, I have nothing to share. Really? Do you know anything? Like, you know any verse of the Bible? Do you, can you just quote one verse? We'll share that with someone. It'll encourage them through the day. You know, make it practical. I'm not saying you have to give a Bible study, even though I'm not discouraging it. If God's calling you to do that, give Bible studies. I'm not saying you have to preach. But what about walking next to one of your friends on the promenade and you just you just memorized part of a verse, even John 3, 16, you know? And you're just walking, you're like, for God so loved the world. Hey, man, did you know that God gave the his only begotten son to save the world? And you should try it. It's really fun. Like, just say something so obvious to someone and be excited about it. And they'll be like, what's, what's, yeah, man, I know that. Like, duh. Be like, no, 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 no. But he died for mankind. And they're like, yeah, I know. No, you're missing it. Like, and just keep preaching to them. And before you know it, they're like smiling, and they're like, you, dude, it's so true. Like, there's, there's friends that I have who will do that. And I'll be like, what are you studying? They're like, the incarnation of Christ. And I'm like, oh, that's boring. But then when they switch it around, and they're like, dude, God became a man. I'm like, yeah. No, 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 he became a man. And they'll do it to me until finally it starts to sink in, right? Repetition deepens impression. And so that's what we have to realize, is that whatever you know, it doesn't matter. Just share it. Share it with someone. And I would encourage you to share something with someone before this day is over. Because we want to start off on the good leg, right? We don't want to start off behind already. So what have we looked at in this, this topic? We've looked at that we need preparation spiritually, right? We need the Lord to convert our heart. How often? Daily, daily right? We're not just converted yesterday and okay for today. No, we need to convert it on a daily basis for the Lord to change our mind. And then what has to happen? We have to be humble, right? We have to recognize our spiritual need. But in recognizing that, should we be discouraged? No, we should be encouraged that what Christ has done for our behalf, that it covers for our sins. And he's willing to give us all knowledge. He's leading, willing to lead us into all truth. And then we've looked at practical ways of guarding your time, also setting aside a specific time, a specific place. I would encourage you to do that as well. We didn't have time to hit on that. But set aside a specific place. Where it's not going to be distractions, don't do it with your roommate. If they're listening to their hip-hop music in your background, you're not going to have a productive life. I've tried it. So, you know, go somewhere else. So do whatever you have to do in these lifestyle changes to have a successful devotional life. Does that make sense? We've realized that this is a lifestyle, not an event. So I just pray that the Lord will help us to know how to implement these things. Next, in the next seminar, we're going to look at specifics of how to study the Bible. Um... It's not going to be, yeah, I I believe it's going to be a blessing. It's things that brought insights to my mind. I'm going to share some of those insights with you from Ephesians. Um, It's a huge blessing, just paradigm shifts, but also deeper ways into understanding Scripture. So why don't we go ahead and pray together? Father in heaven, Lord, we're so grateful for the desire that you have for us to understand your word. And Lord, we recognize that we need you to change our heart on a daily basis, that we desire this wisdom, that we desire you to teach us, Lord, I just pray that you would continue to impress our hearts with a love for you. And Lord, help us not to just sit on the knowledge that we have, but be willing to share it with those around us. May we realize the darkness and the struggles that other people face. And Lord, be willing to shed a little light on their path. Lord, just guide us, bless us now during this break. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse